you are used to having government telling you what to do. You're used to having well, your family, friends, the society telling you what to do. In your job, your boss tells you what to do. And it's easier, you know, it's, it's, you just go with the, with the wind. But we need people taking action. No one, no one will arrive one day miraculously and say, let's save the world, I will help you, I will do it. Welcome to Positive Some Worlds, where we explore ambitious visions for the future and engage in meaningful action. In this episode, we explore the world of Anna Kaich and Umberto Besso. They are building Urbanica, a platform to learn and experiment how to shape our cities into regenerative spaces for all. Their low-tech methodology immerses people in the real world through a combination of online courses and real-life challenges. We have so much fake news on internet. We have so much information and it's super hard to understand what we are going through. And I think that the person who are making impactful projects like you are the right person to discuss about this context because it feels like you are aware of the problems of our time and you are trying to solve it. How would you describe the world as it is today? Well, I could start with that and uh, I would use a, a bold word to describe it first and that one is capitalism and it's something that we see all around us like we see the extreme extractivism that is present in the world we see the over consumerism like if you think about around Christmas you know and to see the need of people having a new Christmas tree every year or having mm -hmm. to buy a new Christmas decoration every year. And if I compare it to my grandma that still has the Christmas decoration from 50 years ago, then it, it, mm -hmm. it, it's just, I start questioning why do we need to consume so much stuff? Why do we need to buy so many things? Um, and on the other side, we have poverty. We have extreme poverty. So we have people living and consuming too much and on the other side we have people who struggle and don't have funds to heat their house don't have funds to buy a piece of bread every day this is the reality where we live in and on the third side a word i would use to describe today's world is privatized privatization i'm from a part of croatia that is close to the sea and throughout my life I have seen so many of the natural resources of my country getting privatized. I've seen so many hotels being built and uh, so many things that before were shared between people that are now exploited and that are now privatized. And you now have to pay to be able to use something that otherwise before was like, you know, a, a free place to share a good time with your family. So These are some of the, the words I would describe the state of the world today, but just not, not to keep it this negative. I also see a spark of hope because there are projects that see that we live in a world that has a lot of problems, but there are projects that try to also solve and give us hope and start building something new Uh, for the generations to come. This is my take on that. Yesterday, I tweeted something about um, a place, a beach in Oaxaca, Mexico, that is being currently privatized. It's a natural place. It's also a sanctuary for turtles. And it is also by law a reserve. And now there is a hotel building a sustainable hotel there that has over 200 toilets and i don't remember how how many rooms and so on and how can these places be sustainable when they are building at the front of the beach so we need to be very aware of these green washers that they are talking and they are uh, having the the narrative of regeneration i saw yesterday also about walmart they have a commitment 
for becoming a regenerative company. But when you look through their report, mm. you will find that there is no single word mentioning regeneration or regenerative or something similar, but they mention around 70 times the word growth. So this is something that we need to be very aware of because a lot of companies, a lot of projects are going to jump into the narrative of regeneration and not actually committing to it. And also about being positive, every day I give thanks for the people that is around me, that the people that have supported me and that I have also the opportunity to give back. I also, I am grateful for being in a time of life of being able to connect through very big distances and coordinate to, to do better. What is the problem that your project is solving today? The problems are the ones of coordination and most specifically urban coordination. So we find all these problems that, or these words that Anna was, was saying about poverty, privatization, extractivism happen in cities and cities are the places that host the largest number of human beings in a single place. So urban places are the spots that we should focus on to bring a better world into material, into life. But these problems are failure of coordination. We are aiming for better education on governance and on peer governance more specifically, so that we understand that we don't really need governments per se. And I believe that cities that have government as we know it is the result of not having a self-management education. I think the, the easiest way to describe Urbanica or what we want to do is we want to turn passive citizens into active city shapers that can make use of urban commoning and Web3 technology stack to improve uh, their city's well-being. And uh, we describe it very shortly as an activism school. So we want to make sure that through Urbanica, people can get the right tools to make a change, while we also deliver it in a different way than the classic education system. And uh, we have Umberto here to show the way we would like to deliver the knowledge of Urbanica uh, in a more interactive, in a more uh, gamified way, so that we don't base ourselves on a PDF that you have to read or some books that you have to have to be able to understand what to do. I would like to add the technological part. We talk about urban commoning, which it's already very a whole thing. It's very complex. Dana was saying about the Web 3.0 stack, which includes artificial intelligence, distributed ledger technologies such as the blockchain and XR, that is virtual reality immersive environments, I would say. So these are three technologies that will enable a group of people to actually simulate decisions as cybernetics teach, but also to enable permissionless and distributed ways of coordinating so that we do not depend on central authorities to keep governing and managing our cities. So this is why we put a focus on the Web 3.0 technological stack. Mm. Now I would love to hear about your personal motivations. What are your personal experiences that brought you to this project? Banica is a result of many years of testing different approaches. It all began in 2015-14, where we started I with, a, with another team. Back then I was still in university, I believe so. It was in Jalapa, it was another city of Mexico. We started a water purification company and we did this because we had a lot of safety problems within the neighborhood and no one wanted to put money, like the neighbors didn't want to put money to increase the security uh, by, for example, putting some cameras or by putting some guards or so on. And no one wanted to put money and no one also, neither, sorry, wanted to to be part of like a squad of patrolling or something like that. So people just wanted to have safety, but without actually participating nor putting money. 
So it was a very difficult way of, of solving it. I was thinking, how? How can we solve this? There is no impossible things on life. So we came out with the proposal of a water purification company as it is a basic need. Water in Mexico, it's sold in, in bottles. Everyone buys water. We proposed to have 30% of the profit of the water purification company for a participatory budget for the neighborhood. So it was a success. It was a big success because people were buying something that they were using or consuming. And 30% of this were going to increasing the well-being of the neighborhood. And we were awarded by the safety, it's the, what is the name? Um, Ministry of Security, I think, because we reduced around 70% the crime in our neighborhood. Later, we maintained 70 green areas because these green areas were clean. Now people were able to socialize because before there were no places to socialize and to meet neighbors. And, and after this, people were able to meet each other and know who were their neighbors. But then the narcos came and told me in my house, hey, you got to pay or we kill you. It was shocking mm. <laughs> because we were a very small company. Mm. We had around, I don't know, 600, 700 customers. And how did these guys came to my home? How did they found where I live? And the only way that they found was that a neighbor told them where I live because we were only selling to the neighborhood, not to the city. So it was very closed. And then, well, I didn't, I didn't pay them. I sold everything at a 70% discount to sell it in a week. And then I moved with my family to another state where it's more safe. Can, can you tell me what is the feeling when the narcos came to you to, to make you stop your project? Well, at first it was a feeling of uh, survival, uh, shocking. First to see a couple of guys entering my door with large guns, telling me very, very calm that... I needed to pay 20,000 pesos in the next two weeks and monthly to keep my business running. I don't know. I, I was frozen. Like, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I just got in shock. They controlled the situation, you know, like they, this is their, their job. So I said, yes, mm. I will have the money. They gave me two weeks. So I sold everything in one week and I said, I won't give the money to these guys because I was thinking what will happen with me and my family and my friends and the other members of the company. Uh, fortunately, they were thinking that I was the only owner and that I was the only person to be involved, let's say. So my friends didn't have anything to worry about because the narcos thought that they were employees that gave me more feeling of calm. So we decided we sold everything and we decided to not give them money. Otherwise they will continue threatening other people and we will just fuel them to continue their activity. And this is something that we as entrepreneurs and people that get this type of threat, we need to think about that because if we decide to participate in their game, then we are losing by fueling them. And this is something that we Mm. rejected to, to, to keep doing. And in the following months, how did you react after that? And when the project of Urbanica came? I was always thinking, why? Why did this happen? And later I read about the cooperative national law and it came to me that the problem, it was about property because the company, it was a private company that I owned and that I was giving away money. So people thought, oh, this is a rich guy that is giving money. So he must have more money. So let's get his money. Instead of thinking this is our company that is solving our problems and we need to protect it. So many months after, I read the National Cooperative Law and then I was in love with the law. I was asking myself why I never heard about cooperatives. I studied 
international business. And I never, never, never got a class about cooperatives. So when I read it, I was like, wow, 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 this is what we need. And maybe if we had the water purification company uh, through a cooperative, it had gone in another way. So then I, I, I had the hypothesis of like public services such as water management and trash management are currently in Mexico being run through private companies. And so the hypothesis was, what if these public services were managed by a neighborhood or a cooperative of citizens? Will the quality of the service improve? Will the service be aligned with the with environmental goals and with social goals because companies are aligned just for profit this, this was the question and then i gathered a group of friends and i told them hey what if we go to another city which is safer than where we were before and try this and they said yes so we went and we were there for two years we gave a training to people the course was a nine-week training about the sustainable development goals, about agile management, about blockchain, about artificial intelligence, about urban design, circular economy, and others. Then we asked the neighbors, please create a project together and shield it or talk it, promote it with the neighbors, they developed two projects, and we constituted a cooperative. And it was, it is still the first cooperative for uh, public improvement in Mexico. And then I thought that the cooperative would run by itself without needing me or my team. And that was a mistake because even though the cooperative was constituted and there were roles and there were tasks and there was a project, people still needed somebody to give moral support by saying, yes, you can go forward, something like that. And that was something that we were missing on our knowledge. And then I went to Europe for a governance master and I understood many more things that we were missing before. From this master and from the past experiences, uh, Urbanica came from a spin-off of the Crypto Commons Association, which was in that moment asking for creating educational content for helping the society to transition into post-capitalism. So we mix things and Urbanica uh, was born. At which moment did you meet each other, Anna and Umberto, and how did you start to work together? I will, I will go on that because it's very funny, because it doesn't make absolutely any sense. I was working in Estonia for a very traditional company, selling Italian food, you know, uh, living my best life, eating mortadella and prosciutto. So I was doing marketing there. And uh, since uh, I was not earning that much, I was actually doing an internship. So it, I was getting nothing of money. I was living in a hostel uh, that was had like an apartment style, uh, I don't know, structure. So it had different floors with uh, apartments with rooms. So you would rent a room and then you would share the kitchen and everything else. And uh, I was there with my brother in a big room. And one day someone moved uh, in the room close to mine, which was the smallest room in the whole apartment. So I remember seeing that someone is there and I was like, who is this person? We didn't meet each other for, I think, full 10 or 12 days because he was in quarantine for COVID. One day this smiley Mexican come out of the room, you know, with his mustache uh, all the way up. And uh, from there, well, we cooked together one day, we went dancing the second day, and the third day we were in a relationship. After that, Umberto, he was already in Web3. I had absolutely no idea of Web3. I remember on the 6th of January, uh, 2020, no, 2021, I bought my first Satoshis on Binance because of Umberto. He told me, buy the deep. Buying the deep is when the price of something goes down dramatically. And we are convinced that it cannot possibly continue going down, which creates a short-lived opportunity to buy right before the price goes up again and become ridiculously rich. It was not a dip, <laughs> but okay. Um, and uh, from there onwards, he was working, uh, contributing in fight pandemics back then. 
and he started introducing me to this whole uh, Web3 world. So we started contributing together uh, on uh, proof of humanity. I left my job in Tallinn because he decided that he would go to uh, Madrid. So I left everything I had there, uh, packed my bags and moved to Madrid. Um, and uh, since then, we traveled like 15 countries. Past October, we were living together in Mexico. I'm now home, going back to Mexico soon. Because we will start another crazy adventure throughout Latin America, sharing the knowledge of Urbanica. Urbanica was supposed to be a podcast. It was supposed to be only just a podcast. And in the end, we ended up having Umberto here dressed in a wolf uh, and having an activism <laughs> school. So it's, uh, yeah, it has been an, an evolution. <laughs> um, mm. I'm doing the yeah. marketing in all this uh, evolution revolution, and uh, I'm very happy to be here. So... Uh, this is how we met. Uh, we met in Estonia, a Mexican and a Croatian, and we've been together ever since for like two, almost two years, uh, working, living, and mm. doing everything together. So, <laughs> can you tell us what made you move? Like you were working in Italian food marketing. Why so much change? I think at the job where I was working at at the moment, I was not feeling stimulated anymore. There were some mm. toxic practices that were uh, hurting my mental health. So when I saw the idea of moving from a country that in winter is minus 25 without daylight, having the possibility to work online, which means that I could mm. be with my family whenever I needed to be with them. Moving to Madrid, that's been my favorite city till now. Sunny Madrid, 20 degrees, living my best life. It's even cheaper than Estonia. Why not? You know, and uh, well, accompanied by Umberto. So moving from Web 2 to Web 3 has been um, difficult, has been uh, a change because you work in DAOs, you work in organizations, you don't have a boss. Mm -hmm. And especially working for impact in the real world. So I'm working on something I like. Uh, I'm working on education right now, which I'm very passionate about. Uh, it has been like a no-brainer, you know. I just bought that ticket and I was there in no time. And I would repeat it every time. When we find ourselves stuck and unproductive and just staring at the wall, because my life was create these Instagram posts that for me didn't add, add any joy or value to my life. Well, now I'm here like generating Twitter posts, but at least I'm very happy to do that because I love what we're doing. That, that has been my reason. Mm. So I propose to you to go through your, your main program course, go through the different uh, lessons that you have. I think the first one is about the commons. We used it since the beginning of this episode, but actually it's not a word that is... Uh, known by everyone. How would you explain it uh, simply in clear words, like you were talking to an eight years old child, for example? The commons are a social system, has three parts. And the first part is the people that has a shared purpose. And that shared purpose is the second part, which is something they want to take care, that they want to sustain, they want to benefit from, but they want to nurture. And I think that's that's a very important word. And the third part is the rules for taking care of it and protecting it from others wanting it to die or to be enslaved or privatized, which is an, a synonym. A commons is a group of people that is taking care of something they care and that they have a structure and a way of doing it with formality, but at the same time with the sufficient creativity to enable it to evolve and to be contextual, depending on how it advances on the people that gets into the commons. It's a very organic thing. And do you have a, an example, a concrete example of an urban commons? Anna and I have some friends in Chetumal that witnessed a street that was deteriorating and that was attracting crime, attracting drug dealing and people just dying there. So it was terrible. And, and they 
cleaned that space and they gathered to turn that space from crime street into the most known cultural corner of the whole city. Now, this place, this urban commons, is called El Callejón del Arte, the alley of art, the alley art. And all the best cultural entertainment that the city has happens there. And it happens due to these people that gather to, to make it happen. And, and this is an urban commons. They, their shared wealth is the alley and culture at the same time. And the group of people are the, the ones that are creating this uh, cultural agenda, let's say. And, and the governance are the rules for operating, for allowing other people to enter, to participate, and also to not allowing others to extract value from it without adding. So these are parts of the rules they have. And this is a great example for an urban commons. The next course is about Web3. And also you have course about digital rights and open source coordination tools. How it can help your friends to, to make a better urban commons? If you think about what can make an urban commons fail, it's Moloch. Moloch is an ancient demon that represents society's failure to coordinate. Whenever humans fall into self-destructive dynamics, where everyone loses more than they win, it is said to be Moloch's fault. Of course, this is just a playful meme used by the Web3 community to focus their efforts around a common goal, that of slaying Moloch. So when you're not coordinated with your group, you cannot group actions to do something. So a way that Web3 coordination tools uh, can help, and specifically open source coordination tools, they're such an amazing tool because they are free to use. Everyone can use it. Everyone can access it. We are advocates also of privacy and decentralization. Uh, we don't want our data sold to anyone. This is why we decided to include these tools that are absolutely incredible. They do the job even better than Web2 tools, but also give you the possibility to, well, keep your privacy on check. Mm -hmm. We can forget about coordinating through a WhatsApp group that gets very messy, that uh, people stop reading because it's too much stuff. So in order to make people more participative in doing something, the best thing is to keep things simple and organized because we are bombarded by too much stuff. So that's why we decided to include Web3 tools into Urbanicon. Also, we added these because they enable to be sovereign in some sense. These urban commons do not need anymore to open a collective bank account, which has a lot of requirements and a lot of risks and a lot of commitment that is asked to the participants because they can fundraise through Giveit, for example, or Gitcoin, which are constantly evolving. And this is something that we bear in mind because the normal ways we have for fundraising are very limited. And when we approach Web3, we are reaching out to an international community of people already willing to improve the world in some sense. It's, it's like tapping into a niche that it's value aligned and that is, um, yeah, mentally aligned. We changed the curriculum a little bit. This is the, the last iteration and it was a suggestion from David Bollier, in, in fact. So we are adding bioregionalism and urban commons, which is very important to, to put into the minds of people so that we are not just focusing on humans, but also the stewardship of nature as commons, where Many people that will take the, the course will find themselves willing to take care of natural places and not just social institutions that are lagging. You talked about David Bollier, but who is he? <laughs> who is David Bollier and how did you collaborate with him? David Bollier is one of the top researchers about the commons. He has written a lot of books about it. He has a podcast about it and he has a program called Program for Advancing the Commons or something like that. He has been researching the commons for more than 30 years, maybe 40 years. 
I will say he won't be very happy by me saying this, but I will say that he is the modern Eleanor Ostrom <laughs> because of, of the knowledge he has gathered. He, he has been very, very patient with us, with this testing different approaches, different technologies, and very also open to engaging with people that he didn't know, right? Because I, I knew him by reading his books and listening to his podcasts, but he didn't know anything about it about us. And also he's skeptic about the Web3 ecosystem. So being col collaborating means a lot in the sense that we are able to take the knowledge that people on field and that have been researching a lot of from a lot of years and now taking it with this kind of technologies, this kind of cultural approaches that enable other people to, to learn because most people are not reading his books, let's say, or are not listening to his podcasts because these people are engaged by TikTok or Instagram or so on. And if we manage to take the knowledge that he has gathered and with also Silkel Helfrich and other people, because we are not just focusing on him, but on, on people that have researched about the commons or have um, on-field experience on the commons to be turned into videos, then we are already making a, a huge impact. Mm, I see. Yeah. And can you tell us what was uh, the first interaction with uh, David Bolli? You woke up uh, a morning and you sent him a message. What happened? I was reading his last book, which is called Free, Fair and Alive. And when I was reading it, I was saying like, wow, wow, wow. This book has already managed to condense the information about how to commons, how to commoning, sorry. And it is a true guide. So I was... I was on fire looking for someone that could contact him with us. Um, and then Rock, which is part of our team, said, hey, I can contact him. And he sent him an email. And David said, yes, I'm interested in hearing about Urbanica. And well, we are here today. Um, can you tell us more about the, the format of your course? I think it's uh, videos, quizzes, and challenges. Can you describe a bit and what are the benefits of that? Yes, we will have videos. Commons 101 will be filmed with David Baldier, and then we will have different video courses on it. We are actually using a Web3 tool for quizzes. So we have 101.xyz, which is a platform that uh, can be used to test the knowledge uh, on whatever subject you want. We already have some quizzes there. After you solve the quiz, you can get um, an NFT that proves your knowledge on a certain topic. So what we have been doing now uh, before we start with the whole platform, with the courses and everything, we have already started with post-capitalistic adventure path. Uh, on our Twitter. Every week on Monday, we post um, a new video with uh, David Bollier and Kin. And uh, in the video, they explain actually different topics. We had um, the value of well-being, for example, or what are the commons. David, what's the collective property? Collective property, while it may have more owners, is still property, meaning people still have the right to privatize things for themselves exploit it to make money and ignore the larger consequences like earth-destroying growth. Commoners want to reconceptualize property itself. They want to honor relational ways of having, you might say, forms of property that have built-in limits on use, forms of property that honor social relations, forms of property that prevent domination of others. And uh, to those videos, which are about one minute to one and a half minute long, we have a 101.xyz quiz. So you go there, you take the quiz, and you get an NFT. But to make things more interesting and more like uh, out of the comfort zone, we also have in real life challenges. So we are using a, a platform that is relatively new. It's called Quest Chains. Um, it's also a Web3 platform where you can solve quests. The quests we put there are... I can give you some spoilers here. For example, talk to a person of your choice or to the person that is closest to you about how we define well-being. 
the thing is that I talk to my aunt, for example, and those are such valuable moments because these topics are not conversational topics I would use day to day, especially not with my family members because I'm so used to being in my Web3 bubble. <laughs> so talking mm. about these topics with someone out of Web3, out of the commons, out of region, whatever you want to call it, it's very inspiring. I had incredible chats also with my grandma. Another uh, challenge we had was create a poster about cooperative in your city and put it somewhere uh, where people can read about it. So um, I created a poster about the cooperative in my city and then I put it on a bus stop. Now, it's prohibited to do that. So it's kind of vandalizing, you know, uh, but you are not like to put some sticking tape, you're not causing any harm. Um, it lasted mm. four days on the bus stop and the bus stop was in front of my home. So I saw people stopping there and reading it. So this is a way of activating people and getting them to do something out of their comfort zone. And then they can upload a proof of what they did on questions. And they also get an NFT collectible for that. So it's kind of the system we have been using uh, for now. But uh, if you think about it, there might be a barrier, a Web3 barrier in here. Because for questions, you need to have some Matic on Polygon. For uh, You need to have a wallet. You, ha you need to have a computer, a laptop, because those applications are not that friendly on a phone, and most people use a phone. So that's why the chatbot arrives here, and Umberto will tell you more about it. Uh, having a AI chatbot-based game that uh, you can interact with, and it will deliver you challenges with the course in it. So the whole course will be gamified. There are three niches, which are the policymaker, the urban activist, and the entrepreneur. As an uh, MMORPG, you need to select a role, and then you will get challenges based on your role. But each challenge holds the, a module of the course because you need to understand what the challenge is about to solve it. So we want that people not only get educated on a different way of living, but actually perform it and actually shape their city with some regenerative lifestyle. And well, the chatbot allows this because it is a, a WhatsApp, Telegram, Signal, um, browser-based chatbot. It doesn't matter where you contact it. So it allows to lower the barriers a lot and it gives you these roles and the quests and it doesn't need web3 technology to to do so we have three main niches because we have activists we have entrepreneurs and we have policymakers and i would like to just stop for a second on the policymakers part because a touching part uh, about reading David Bollier's book was the part where he explains that we're very used to looking at the world through a window, through a certain window. And we never thought, mm. maybe I never thought, that if you take a step back, you could see that there are many windows on that wall that you could see the world through them. If we think about making a change, making an impact, making uh, something different for the world, we cannot do that if the system doesn't change. We don't give policymakers the tools to create um, surroundings where we can actually build a different system. And this is also why we think that Urbanica's courses have to be formatted in a way that they are helpful to policymakers. If I well understood, there is a course that is free and another one that is not free, right? And for who? So all the materials and everything we are uh, creating is released under Creating Commons uh, license. So everything is open source. It can be accessed by anyone. What we mm -hmm. are doing is that we are offering a membership with a gift economy model where a person can become a registered apprentice and uh, by contributing monthly, 
whatever um, whatever she can, she or he can, and uh, the the contribution starts uh, from the price of a coffee and a pastry in Mexico City, which is for US dollars. So it's absolutely something symbolic. We don't want to create a barrier with this. Um, it's just that uh, it's a way to to support and continue supporting uh, what we do. But uh, besides that, it, it's something that you can opt for. But besides that, you can access the other things freely. If today people uh, uh, give you donations, how would you use it? We are in needing of for our own salaries. Like uh, the last rounds are not enough for paying for everybody. And so we are highly committed to to doing what we are doing in Urbanica. So we are we started full time, but now we are doing it uh, almost full time. But then partially looking in other places as with the content creation, and not all the team can can sustain in this way. So we will use this money for paying for salaries. The equipment, we already have it thanks to the first donations, thanks to all these beautiful people that allowed us to, to have the equipment for continuing creating content and educating. But what we need is just to keep running. Mm. Can you tell us more about uh, this team? Who are they? What are their roles? How many are you? I don't know. We are many people and we are all over the globe, which is a very nice thing. So we have Rodo and he's our instructional designer. He also does video editing and video and reviewing the videos of David that David creates. The communication, promotion and creativity part. Then we have Pedro. Pedro, ah, Rodo is based in Mexico, in Puebla. I'm based in Croatia at the moment, and uh, Pedro, who is based in Chetumal in Mexico, uh, is a Web3 stack researcher and tester. He's a video editor uh, of Umberto's videos and uh, content uh, creator as well. Then we have Umberto. <laughs> He's um, the project manager, the vision manager, the PR and uh, Web3 stack researcher and tester. He also does content creation and he creates the quizzes and uh, challenges. Then we have uh, David Bollier and uh, he helps us a lot with video script writing. So we write everything in an uh, exact and very clear way. He also reviews the quizzes and challenges and he reviews the videos and uh, records the videos and scripts. David is uh, based in USA. Then we have Ruslan. Uh, Ruslan is based in Russia and he does our 3D design of the scenarios, which were used within the two iterations of Urbanica. It was actually very funny how we... Uh, we arrived to Ruslan because he just came and he was like, hey, I would like to help you build your projects. And uh, we keep using Google Translate because he speaks only Russian and we speak English and Spanish. Mm. Um, but uh, mm. who says the language is a barrier? If you want it to be a barrier, it will be. If not, uh, a DeepL, Google Translate or whatever other translator you use is of great help. Um, then we have mm. Boogie. He's based I think he's based in the UK. He's our 3D designer of avatars, uh, which were used in the first two iterations of Urbanica. And then we have Rock. Rock is based in Slovenia, so close to me. And he is our challenges designer. So we are literally all over the world. We are a diverse team, but we managed to function together. And it's very fun to see all these different viewpoints. I think we can learn a lot uh, from each other. So. It's the plus of having an international team. The challenges that you can face uh, with a team which is all over the world. Can you tell us more about collaborating with a team internationally? I think the, the biggest challenge that we cannot solve are time zones. So since we are spread all over the world, sometimes it's a bit uh, challenging finding a meeting time that suits everyone. Mm. But uh, somehow we managed to do that as well. There are tools for that as well. Somehow I have a feeling that after COVID and after we all started uh, social distancing, I haven't used that word in a long time, but um, yeah, we, 
we got used to working online a bit more than before. So somehow it feels normal. Um, and I don't see it as something challenging. The most challenging thing you can get is someone that didn't see your message and didn't answer. So you just need to send another mm. message. But it's, mm. it's something that, you know, happens everywhere and it's completely solvable. As Umberto said, we take decisions collectively. We have our spiritual guide, the wolf you see in this call, where, because it's something needed, but we all feel uh, like we participate and we participate because we believe in the project. So I wouldn't really say there are some big challenges that we are facing because we are all over the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what are the advantages then to be a distributed team? Being remote, I think, helps a lot by being able to find talent and passionate people that would like to, to make this vision a reality. The, the positive part is being able to tap into international talent. Like it's not when you like when you are in a in a in a company and you have your marketing strategist and you have to use that marketing strategist. You know, uh, here uh, we need a three D designer. Okay, let's go. Let's find someone. Let's see in the ecosystems we are. Let's see in the DAOs if someone wants to join. You don't have to think mm -hmm. about ah. Oh, let's create a contract uh, or the legal structure. How are we going to find this? You, we need to contact an HR. It's just the agile way of finding, finding professionals. And we it, it happens like in a week or two. Uh, we need this avatar. You find the 3D designer. The designer creates the avatar. Um, and you have your, your thing done by when you need it to be done. This is in the ideal world. Then sometimes things happen, but let's leave that aside. Um, it's the incredible way to contact with people that you would probably never contact otherwise um it's the flexibility mm. of being able to contact them um and uh, yeah you can just find whoever you need uh, for your project in a matter of uh, some hours of researching so uh that, that's the absolute cool part besides that you learn also new languages like when we started collaborating with ruslan the first thing we did we went to new demi academy And uh, we found a Russian course just to be able to understand some words. It's, it's cool, you know. And then you have a home wherever you go. You have a couch to sleep on. Because, mm. <laughs> yeah. The most valuable thing uh, for me is expanding the perspective that I have so that we are more prone to success by, by embracing the diversity. And I would love to talk about uh, your parallel project, which is called Civico Bus, right? Um, can you tell us more what is it and how it is related to Urbanica? Yeah, it's another crazy idea. <laughs> so uh, we were thinking that uh, doing Urbanica now is interesting and fun. But how do we bring the knowledge of Urbanica to people, like physically to people? So we thought, well, why don't we go and visit those people and bring them Urbanica, literally? The best thing uh, we could do was buying a bus and converting it into a house and then use it to travel toward, for the next uh, years sharing the knowledge starting with LATAM, uh, Latin America, and then in other parts of the world. And in this way, reaching the most remote places, let's hope not too remote, but the, the places uh, we would like to spread the knowledge about Urbanica. Mm -hmm. We, the project is still very ripe, like we're still, still working on it. As you can imagine, it's a revolution of your lifestyle, start living in a more nomadic way. But uh, more information will come soon. And uh, it's complementary because we are literally taking the knowledge to people, talking to people. Mm. The best way to share something is by talking about it, sharing it. And if it's personally, especially when we are talking about such big changes, like the ones that Urbanica wants to make, uh, encouraging people live, it's, it's even better. So that's, that's Civico Bus. We are also doing this 
because we were thinking, okay, we are taking the knowledge physically to people, but also what we are trying our best is to make an impact on turning cities into regenerative hubs, right? There are many technologies out there. There are many methodologies out there. So we can combine the education on one side and on the other side, the technologies and approaches that have proven to, to work out. And as we are contacting the policymakers, the entrepreneurs and the urban activists, then we can provide them with a catalog of climate solutions that can immediately regenerate or improve their city. And maybe this can become also a way for sustaining our trip, our lives by directly impacting these uh, people. Because an example will be the, the bus, the bus is an electrical bus that we are uh, turning into a solar powered bus. Cities have commitments for reaching the sustainable development goals. So they need to replace their current fleet of uh, public buses with some more um, sustainable ones, let's say. And what will be best that solar powered bus, buses, right? So we are traveling with our bus and we are going to sell those buses to cities. And that way we will keep running. We will be able to have enough income to, to pay our bills and to feed and to continue uh, educating, even if we don't find the enough resources for the educational part. So we are finding complementary models that can sustain what is most needed, that is education. And that's why we are doing this. And it's all complementary. We learned a lot from talking with Anna and Umberto. No matter what happens, they keep going forward. Here are the takeaways. Don't wait for anyone else to come and improve your life. We all have the power to shape the places where we live. Don't be disappointed if your first efforts come short of what you expected. Iteration is the road you must travel to reach your goals. Don't be afraid to ask people to join your adventure. You might end up collaborating with your heroes. Would you like to participate in their program to make a change in your city? Or would you like to support them with a donation? Check out the links in the description. Thank you for listening and take care.